Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, everyone in service today. My name is River. I am a recovering sexaholic in Kansas City, Missouri in the U.S. Very grateful to be here. Thank you, Nancy, for offering me this opportunity to speak. Um, I always appreciate being able to give back a little bit. I hope I'm giving back today to the program of Sexaholics Anonymous. I um, was literally um, not really living life before I found this program. Um, And so I do owe my life to it. Um, And I'm sober since August 26, 2015. And I do want to just start, uh, begin with the set-aside prayer, so I'll just read it, and it's for all of us. Um, uh, God, please help me to set aside everything I think I know about myself, my disease, these steps, and especially you, for an open mind and a new experience with myself, my disease, and these steps, and especially you. Amen. Um, yes, Nancy and I discussed this yesterday about uh, what I would be speaking about, and I'm going to do my little Harvey um, uh, demonstration and just wing it. Um, I guess uh, yesterday it was going to be whatever God needs me to say, and this today I guess it's my experience, strength, and hope, so here we go. Um, some uh, Something that has come to me as a result of participating in the Barcelona meeting actually was I um, heard a person speaking about um, an experience he had with a sponsee where um, originally the sponsee had been a lust trigger for him and his sponsor told him he needed to stop sponsoring that person, um, which he did. And then several years later, they saw each other in another meeting and um, suddenly the sponsee, the former sponsee was a person to him and his sponsor gave him the thumbs up to sponsor him. And it was so touching to me um, because I struggle with um, humans being persons. It's so crazy to say it out loud, and I'm grateful to be in a room of people who have also uh, perhaps subjectified humans. Um, And I still struggle to call humans persons, um, but when I commented on the gentleman's share and I commented on how his sponsee had become a human, he corrected me to say, no, he became a person. And that too kind of rocked my world um, because of this, um, you know, I'm a love cripple. And um, I was thinking about uh, that part in the white book, in the solution, which Nora read today. Thank you, Nora. I adore you. 
which is we began practicing a positive sobriety, taking the actions of love to improve our relations with others. We were learning how to give, and the measure we gave was the measure we got back. We were finding what none of the substitutes had ever supplied. We were making the real connection. We were home. Uh, This word love has always been a mystery to me. Um, The longer I am in as a recovery um, and practice um, giving, I am starting to very slowly open up to the possibility that maybe love itself is um, God, my higher power. Um, And this actually uh, was revealed to me through working with the sponsee myself, which was kind of fun for me to reflect upon. Um, I had a sponsee, we've been working together several years, and she was somebody who liked to use the words, I love you. And I'm not free with the love word because I don't really know what it means in in my experience as a sexaholic growing up in a family, a very dysfunctional family that confused this love thing. It was more of a barter system. Um, Plus, there was a lot of um, I was raised in a sexaholic home. So boundary crossing and um, very confusing for me. Um, So anyway, um, I talked to my sponsor about, you know, what to do, because it's so awkward when somebody says, I love you, and then you're just like, ah. (laughs) Um, So she said, well, are you answering her phone calls? Yes. I mean, do you, she says, do you want the best for her life and her recovery? Of course I do. She says, do you pray for her? I said, I do. Uh, are you helping her work the steps? I am. She asked, are you um, sharing your experience, strength, and hope with her? Yes. And she said, you are loving her. I was like, what? (laughs) What? That's love? That's so weird. Okay. All right. It's just not what I thought love was. And the more that I've moved through the program, especially through service work, um, my issues around codependency have really been revealed. And so, um, you know, I um, started my life in a family um, that was both um, alcohol, there was alcoholism and sexaholism in the home the role that I took on in the family was um, um, I was my, my alcoholic mother's caretaker and a confidant, best buddy, you know, go-to gal. Um, and then it put me and my father in the position of being her parent, you know, so then I had that weirdness with my father, which transitioned into uh, just pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization as I progressed through my sexaholism um, all the way up until I was 50 years old and finally limped into SA. Just uh, could, just I could not stop masturbating on a daily basis several times a day. Um, and so um, 
in this experience as a child where I started masturbating very young, I started uh, using codependency to have an identity. You know, this is who I am. I am the person who takes care of others. Um, it's, it's been a challenge, you know, in essay recovery as I practice giving um, and sponsoring others to not then, you know, have that just be another sort of mask that I wear that prevents me from intimacy with others. You know, now I am the sponsor, you know, now I am the helper rather than really connecting with others. Um, and so the more I work on my um, seeking conscious contact with my higher power, um, the more um, I start to kind of melt away all of these identities or my higher power melts them away. It's, I, it's hard to talk about this very well, but um, I become one with my higher power. And through that experience, um, I'm able to just show up, show up and do little things, you know, open the door for the meeting, um, you know, return the phone call to the newcomer. Welcome, welcome to our newcomer here today. Also, one week is awesome. So glad you found us. Um, you know, just, yeah, be the hand of SA. I, I don't have to do something big and glorious. Um, I just do these little actions of love. Not the, you know, I wanted to win a Nobel Peace Prize or do something huge, you know. I wanted love to feel like, you know, um, what do we say in the problem? You know, we wanted it to have the magic. You know, I wanted to have that magical experience. If I'm not feeling magic, it can't be love. Um, and so just doing those mundane acts of left foot, right foot, you know, chop wood, carry water. It never occurred to me that this was actually love. And so I'm practicing the actions of love to improve my relations with others. Um, and that's not an easy thing, um, you know, because on the surface, it might seem like, you know, all the positive things that we can do. But as it's turned out for me in my sobriety, is that um, taking the actions of love have included doing things like saying no and um, telling my, um, my mother, for instance, who's still alive. <laughs> I've been thinking, you know, I've been, um, my mother's going to die has been happening since I was born. My mother's dying. She's dying. She's dying. You know, she's 84, almost 85 years old. She's still alive. Um, anyway, I um, have, I am taking a break from my mother. Um, I've been, you know, still carrying on as her go-to gal. And um, I've told my siblings, they are um, pitching in remotely to support my mother as I take this break. Um, when I told my sponsor about it, she's like, oh, it's like a period of abstinence. You know, you're taking a period of abstinence, you know, from your mother. And it has been such a huge relief to me. Um, it's also, you know, taking the actions of love have also included telling my 20-year-old daughter who has a two-year-old, no, you cannot live with me, you know. Um, and so, gosh, it's, it's especially for a love cripple, 
you know, figuring this out uh, with the help of my higher power, lots of guidance from others in the program, sponsorship, um, all of the women that I talked to in SA Recovery, I can't even begin to tell you how much it's helpful to me to be in constant contact with other female sexaholics. You reveal to me myself, I need to see that. Um, I need to practice vulnerability, um, admitting I am a very broken uh, person. Um, I fall short all day, every day. I'm doing the best that I can, but because I've worked the steps of recovery and I practice this program on a daily basis, um, I do now have, after almost seven years, one day at a time, <laughs> Um, have um, experienced strength and hope to share. It's mostly, you know, things that I've heard from you that I just get to repeat back. But, you know, I have this forgetting disease and I need to practice repeating the solution every single day. Um, you know, we talk about, um, we practice a positive sobriety. And um, in my disease, um, that has wanted to kill me my whole life. Um, you know, it, my, the voice in my head um, of my disease, when it talks to me, it is, it's kind of like a torturer, you know, it'll say things like I own you and you're so cute doing this 12 step recovery, you know, I'm going to be here forever. You know, you're never going to be, I mean, it's okay. I'll, I could go on a long time, but I won't. Um, it wants me to stay in the negative. It wants me to separate myself from you. It wants me to isolate and act like I'm, um, you know, I've got this. I'm okay. It's not that bad. Um, but I need to practice the positive sobriety. And so one of the greatest tools that has come to me in my recovery has been practicing encouraging um, giving compliments, finding what's working right. Um, this has been a real muscle that I've had to practice since coming into recovery. Um, and um, especially with sponsoring others. I tend to um, be judgmental and see what I think is wrong or that the sponsee is not doing um, enough of or doing the way I would do it. Um, I have also a character defect of taking too much responsibility. And so um, I feel like I am responsible for her sobriety and her recovery. Um, but no, no, no. Sponsor helps me to remember, you know, find the places where she's doing things, um, where she is practicing a positive sobriety. Did she call you? Yes. You know, did she call you on time when she said she was going to? Yes, she did, you know, but she needs to be doing this, that, and the other, you know, she's like, just, you now just stay with the positives, you know, find the places where she is, um, um, taking actions on behalf of the solution, because this is not an easy disease. You know, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but it can be difficult for people to stay in the rooms of Sexaholics Anonymous. I know for myself, especially as a woman walking into a room of all men, um, uh, 
it was hard. It was very, very difficult um, to stay put and to keep coming back. And then I thought, oh, well, when I get to an international event and I get to be with other women, it's going to be better. But then I had my first experience being in a room. I got to meet Nancy there and probably some other women here in the meeting um, uh, <laughs> in New Jersey, you know, my first women's meeting. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, these women, ah, they're just like me and they drive me crazy and I can't stand to be with them. You know, but over time, through the patience and the practice of my sponsor, finding what I'm doing right and tolerating my tirades and my immaturity, she helped me to, you know, just keep coming back, keep coming back. I can't emphasize that enough, um, that it's a very uncomfortable process of growing up in public and learning how to live life and love others um, but it is so worth it. Um, and while I agree with uh, Lee and Nancy and all the long timers who have long term sobriety and emphasize, you know, it's just one day at a time. Seven years later, I am not the person that I was when I walked in the door. Um, and I needed to know that, you know, that, yes, it's one day at a time, but please, God, tell me it gets better. And it does, it does, it gets so much better. And now that I'm seven years in, you know, I could even say, you know, like Nancy, for instance, you know, she's grown and changed, you know, it's just like this thing just keeps working as I practice um, finding what's right, finding what's working, learning that my worth does not lie in the, um, uh, my worth doesn't, well, first of all, my worth doesn't lie in um, being a sexual object for, for men. <laughs> that, that was my first belief was that my only worth was to allow men to be with me sexually. I mean, I can remember the first time I heard about a religion where the couple didn't have um, practice intimacy um, they only did it if the woman could possibly conceive a child. And I, and so then when she reached a certain age, they never had intimacy again in that way. And I remember thinking, why would he stay with her? <laughs> that was my first clue. There might be something wrong here. Um, and then, and then more so recently thinking that my worth is to be, um, in service to others in the program, that that's my worth, that, you know, God's gotten me all fixed up, cleaned up, you know, practicing a program so that I can give it away to others. And, and that is my worth. But that's also a false equation for me, which my sponsor told me yesterday is one of the fear acronyms I'd never heard, false equation appearing real, which I had never heard before. Um, but this equation uh, about my worth, you know, what gives me worth as a human person, <laughs> again, back to that personhood, um, this really is still a mystery to me. This is kind of my growing edge. I don't really uh, fully understand the difference between a human and a person. 
I'm sure some of you with more advanced recovery or greater brains than mine perhaps have a better grasp of it. But my guess is, is that if I keep coming back, showing up, working the steps, talking to others in the program, being of service, doing prayer and meditation, reading the literature, you know, just doing the simple program that one day I'll be able to report back to you that I have a better understanding and grasp of this now. So anyway, that's what I wanted to share with you today. And with that, I'll pass. Yeah, I think I have to put my hand up first because then I can listen to everybody else. Um, thank you so much, River. What a blessing to hear you share. I do remember meeting you at the, the I remember meeting you for the first time. And um Oh, gosh, it's, it really, really hit me. It really hit me when you said Nancy's changed, too. Uh, and I don't know, this is kind of a crazy question. Can you um, talk about how you've changed? Holy moly. <laughs> <clears throat> How have I changed? Well, the thing that came to mind immediately, I guess, <clears throat> is um, uh, how I um, relate to men has changed tremendously uh, because of this program. Um, one of the amends that I owe for the rest of my life is interfering with uh, the, the sacred bond of marriage. I was, yes in between lots of marriages, to be honest, and starting with my parents, you know, uh, in between. Um, and that's not something that you can exactly do a face-to-face -face amends, you know, call up all the wives, you know, and say, hey, you know. Um, so uh, my sponsor's pretty um, strict about this. I, you know, I'm fortunate that I have two sponsors. My um, essay sponsor is in Europe. Um, so she doesn't get to see me in action in meetings. Um, but I do have a local sponsor in another program who has called me out before about uh, friendly behavior with men. I thought I was being nice and I can still trip into this, you know, where I think I'm being friendly, but it's actually flirtation. Um, and so I'm practicing how I relate to men in that way. Um, and then also um, I don't engage with married men in a way that a wife could become jealous. Um, and that's also required lots of sponsorship help. I can remember one time a man with long-term sobriety asked me to do some sightseeing at an international event, um, married man, you know, and my sponsor is like, no way, you know, that is not how we behave now. Um, and I was only about three years sober at the time, you know, also um, she probably, you know, I rely heavily on her guidance. She knows me better than anyone else. And sometimes I don't agree with her and I do it anyway. Um, so that's something else that's changed is uh, taking other people's suggestions rather than relying on my big ideas. Pass. Thank you. Thank you very much. Michael, I see your hand up. Thank you. Um, my name's Michael, and I'm a sex and lust addict. Yeah, that was a fantastic share. Thank you. Um, 
and a lot of identification with even with your feedback and your um, what I identified with was objectifying women, objectifying people, men and women for different contexts and different reasons, but really not seeing them as people. And when I cross that bridge into seeing people as people, my heart opens, I get into compassion, I get into see their struggle. And even if um, I just the connection takes place and it's something I'm learning more of to see people as people and see them complete a whole as God's children. And also um, you spoke about moving your self-worth about. Mine come from women, then it come from money, then it come from something else, then it come from working a program. Instead of getting I'm a worthwhile human and old and complete as I am in uh, in God's eyes, and I've just got work to do in certain areas and he can guide me. I am all just, Thank you. Um, just to get current. And thank you. Pass. Thank you, Michael. Okay, uh, Hassan, I see you are up next. Daniel, I think Odea had her hand up first. Oh, sorry. Uh, Odea, well, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, let's get Odea, and then I see Nora. And I don't see Hassan's hand up, but I'll call him after Nora. So, Odea. Hey, thank you. Um, uh, River, thank you so much. Uh, it's so good to hear you and to see you. I identified with a lot of your story and the uh, fear to, to love. Um, actually, recently I uh, had a romantic relationship with a guy and I think, wow, it will be amazing to try and uh, practice, uh, say, I love you. You know, not just for this guy, but also for my parents that it's like, I feel it's, you know, the words is not go out from my mouth, but it's like, yeah, I can tell my parents, I love you. And they're embarrassed and they don't know what to, what to do. And, but that's okay. I don't need, they will say, uh, we too like i don't i don't need that because i have my higher powers love but i do want to hear like um i have uh two thoughts uh if you encounter um uh, my time is almost past but i what just ask the questions uh if you encounter with um like sometimes it's not it's not uh, the place to say I love you like if you have any situations that you, you say it's not appropriate and two how you deal with the feeling like the thoughts that come to your mind as you as you share um, about that my words it's depend on what uh, this guy think about me and if I am sexual enough and I know I'm sexaholic and you know this is my default but like how you deal with the thoughts. Thank you. Could you repeat how I deal with the thoughts about what? About that your words is dependent on your uh, sexuality. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, gosh. I mean, I don't want to answer the first part, the first question, because um, the only person I say I love you to currently, or two people, I guess, is my daughter and my granddaughter um, and um, my cat. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to keep coming back. 
And um, I am so practiced at my uh, lestaholism um, that even your question, I can't, I feel, I feel a resistance to even going into answering it because it's so off limits for me um, to experience myself as a sexual being in the presence of a man, you know, it's just like, it's so, it's been years, you know, since I've done that. Um, and I'm old, you know, I'm old. So um, I'm not currently in any position or have any interest in forming an, a romantic relationship with a man. So I guess basically I don't have any current um, experience, strength, and hope to share on that. Um, but I'd be happy to put my phone number in the chat and we could chat about it in more, at more length later. Pass. Thank you so much. I can get um, Odea your phone number. Okay. Thanks, Nancy, and thanks, Odea. Um, Nora. Thanks, Daniel. It's Nora Sexaholic. Thank you so much, River, for sharing. I'm so glad I'm here right now. Um, I just want to say a quick thing about the first time I ever was uh, in contact with you, or it was a, an only woman's meeting that I really adore, but it's so late my time, so I no longer attend it. Um, it was a speaker meeting. You were the speaker, and... Um, you know, when you were finished, I was like, wow, I just really know I wanted what you have. And um, I really had a problem when I got into the fellowship that I really thought and felt that it that SA was a men's program, that, um, that I had uh, such difficulty to relate with other women, even though I knew some women at that time. But, um, you know, it got better with time meeting um, uh, you and a whole bunch of other women that really sold me out on the fact that lust doesn't differentiate between a man and a woman. This is, this is not a men's program, not at all. Um, and it made me feel less lonely. I think I heard it. Okay. Thanks for time. Um, I just have one question. I'm so glad you talked about sponsoring. So I just wanted you to, uh, if you can talk a little bit about how you keep your emotions at bay with working with sponsors. How do you um, not lose your serenity in the way? Thanks. Thank you, Nora. So glad you're here. Um, <clears throat> well, <laughs> I lose my serenity with sponsors all the time. Um, and, you know, my sponsor, you know, let me know. It seems to be the way of the program that it's, it's just inevitable that we practice being sponsors with these sponsees, you know, my uh, first, like when I think back on my first experiences with sponsees, I was, I was not sure I could stay sober. Uh, I was so out of serenity. Um, <clears throat> I jumped over to an Anon program at that time, which has really, really helped me. Um, because of this over-responsibility thing, my judgmentalism, my playing God, thinking I have their answers. Um, and so, yes, I have to really watch that. Um, and the more I've moved along in my recovery and seen, guess what? They, 
they're staying sober. I have uh, two sponsees that are coming up on two and three years. Thank you, God, their work, their higher power. Yes, I answered the phone for their calls, um, but um, they have not worked the program. I wished they would have worked and they're doing great. You know, their life is getting so much better. And I get to witness that and, and realize, oh my gosh, you know, I need to just play my little tiny part here. And the more I play my little tiny part, um, the more serene I am and it all just works better. So practice, 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 pass. Thanks, Nora and River. And we had a question in the chat. <clears throat> Hassan does, did not have does not have privacy. So he was asking, um, thank you, River. Thank you all. May I ask, how do you work an idea just for today? And how do you deal with resentments? That's his question. Okay. How do I work an idea? What was the second part? And how do you deal with resentments? Resentments. Well, idea is such a big word that I'm not sure if there's a specific example. So I'll just use resentment as an idea, for instance, <laughs> um, because that is something that, boy, if there's anything that keeps me in the here and now, it would be resentment, you know. Now, the really the reality is, is that I'm not exactly in the here and now as I'm rehearsing my resentment, you know. But it's the lie that the resentment tells me, um, which is for me, um, actually, um, I had a sponsee share this realization with me, which is that um, much like lust, resentment keeps me attached to the other person. You know, it's, it's a form of relationship that I'm having with them when I'm rehearsing, you know, the scene in my head, you know, I used to rehearse the sex scene, you know, now I'm rehearsing the resentment scene and it is a form of intimacy. Um, and so I can practice the program on that. We have tremendous literature, especially in the AA material, you know, on step four and what to do with resentments, writing it out in the columns. Um, a sponsor can, you know, work through that. I'm sure, you know, just, you know, what is my part in this resentment? Um, and then just for today, you know, just practicing showing up differently. And so I use even the lust prayers for resentment. You know, God, please help me find in you what I'm looking for in this resentment. Um, praying for the other person, um, talking to others in the program, going to a meeting, all those things in the solution are here today. So I hope that's helpful. Thanks for the question, Hassan, and uh, thanks for the answer, River. Uh, we have Shipra and Lee up next, and after that, folks with fewer than 30 days can go ahead and raise their vir virtual hand and get in line. So, Shipra, go ahead. Well, I have less than 30 days, so if you want to push me back, I'm okay. Oh, that's that's okay. Go ahead, Shipra. Thank you. Uh, River, thank you for your share. Um, I want to ask, like, you said something about the fear of the word love in any form. So how has it has it gotten better for you? 
and how if it has. Well, thank you, Shipra. Um, <laughs> yes and no. You know, words um, are super powerful, and um, it's okay to change words and accept the fact that certain words may never be my word. Um, so who knows today? I still don't particularly love the L-O-V-E word, uh, mostly because of the way it's been abused and used in our culture. Um, if you want to see me get hot and mad, try to convince me that you have a love addiction. You know, this is one of the things that is, uh, it's one of the drives me nuts. You know, women who try to convince me that they're addicted to love. And it's just like, oh, come on, you know, where does that love scene end in your fantasy? You know, not rocking in old age out on the porch with your husband. It ends in the bedroom, you know, and it's just like it's a lust disease. And so, yeah, I get I get pretty worked up about that, you know, just because of my own misuse. You know, how many times did I use the L word, the love word? to manipulate and use others for my own sexual pleasure. And it, it's take, it took a while for me to see it as it was, um, but that is what I did. Um, and so um, it has gotten better for me in the sense of um, realizing that the disease has a very thick layer of denial um, and that everybody comes to their own realization about um, the problem, the, the program, the disease on the, in their own time. Um, and that I can just focus inward. Oh yeah, this is something else I wanted to share. Uh, my sponsor gave me the um, analogy of inward facing eyes. You know, when I was um, looking out there at all the body parts, you know, no, you know, turn the eyes inward, you know, look inward, you know, see what you're doing, you know, you're objectifying the human being, you know, looking inward at myself. And what I've discovered when I look inward is that I inside here is where I find my connection to my higher power, the true source of L-O-V-E, I guess. I mean, if we have to say that. <laughs> so anyway, I'll pass. Thanks, Shipra and River. Uh, Lee, you're up. Hi, great share. I loved listening to you and I appreciate it. Uh, I have a couple of comments. Uh, one, as a scientist, I see uh, the word human as a, a biological definition of a type of animal. <laughs> and I see a person is that animal that's integrated with an emotional and spiritual being. So uh, they are two different things in my experience. Uh, the second thing is, for me, love is primarily an action that is followed by a feeling. And Harvey's suggestion 30 years ago, I started writing a loving message to my wife every morning, every single morning. And it changed remarkably how she felt. But more than that, it changed how I felt. So loved evolved out of that 
practice. So those are my comments. That's all. How long did it take, Lee, for you to have the feeling from after taking all those actions? It evolved over a period of years and increased and increased, but the effects started, uh, you know, within the first few days or weeks. I mean, I saw things. There was stress when we started that. And then all of a sudden, I realized, hey, she's better and I'm better too. And we keep getting more and more intimate in those ways. Wow. Thanks, Lee. Uh, Anna, you're next. Thank you, uh, River, for your share. Awesome. Um, um, I was, yeah, there's so many things that I identified with and so many questions. Um, uh, the love word. Oh, my God, I can so relate. Um, but what I wanted to ask you was, um, since you were talking about being nice, and flirt word were how do you differentiate that thank you thank you <clears throat> i guess i i'm not i'm not for sure to be honest because i tend to be a very friendly person um, I'm from the Midwest here in the United States, and many of you probably don't know this, but we are highly trained at friendliness. Um, so that is way ingrained in me. Um, I'm also professionally, uh, I'm, I work in a profession that requires friendliness. <laughs> so getting the friendliness um, in line so that I'm not flirting is challenging, but um <laughs> The reality is, is that I particularly have to watch friendliness towards men 35 years and younger. Just telling it how it is. Uh, my daughter was actually, before I ever got sober as a little girl, she would say, Mommy, why do you flirt with the young men, you know? And I thought I was just being friendly, but even my daughter could see it, you know? And um, it's embarrassing now, but, um, you know, I do notice that I get extra giddy. I get a little extra, you know, I can feel it inside my body, basically. So I'll keep coming back. Thanks, Anna and Mid River. Next up, we have Christina. Oh, thank you. Uh, hi, Chris uh, River. <laughs> My God. It's so nice to see you. And I remember, I think two years ago, you've been the speaker in our meeting in Hamburg and you didn't open the window. You said, no, that's not possible. And now you do it. <laughs> and this is a, a development, I think. And I have the same. And um, yes, I identified a lot. I wanted only to say that. And especially um, you touched me with this sentence beside my mom is still alive. 
my mom is also 84 and she's also still alive. And I, oh, yes, I would like to know why you said this because for me, my mother always said, oh, if I'm dying, then you have to do this. Or she always talks about dying. So I thought, I mean, yes, thanks. And I, I would like to know wh why you said this. Thanks. Thank you, Christina. So good to see you. And thank you for inviting me to Hamburg. I completely forgot about the video. Yes, that was something else that's changed. Yes, I, when the Zoom first started, I had, I was very adverse to being my Yes, the video thing with my sexaholism has been an issue. And um, that's changed. But the reason I said my mother is still alive is because, yes, her words out of her own mouth my whole life have told us that she's dying. She's had many diseases. She's a very anxious person. She's often speaking about dying or, you know, I'm going to be laying over here. You know, she's put it into my head about her dying and I believed it. You know, that's my part in that, you know, and as a child, it was natural. I was afraid the person who was responsible for my life was going to die, um, but it's carried on, you know, way past the point of uh, being necessary And at this point, you know, if, you know, if I keep sacrificing myself for her well-being, I'll die before she does. So um, I'm just practicing good self-care. And I'm, I do pray that um, there will be some healing in our relationship before she does actually die so that we can have a sense of um, something other than me being her servant, you know, so. I'll pass. Thanks, Christina and Ruben. Uh, Savannah, you're up next. Thank you. I'm Savannah, recovering sexaholic. Um, yeah, thank you, River, for your your experience, strength, and hope today. It brought me a lot of, um, yeah, just hope to hear. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to share. Like, I feel very moved by your deep peace and serenity that you you share with about your yeah, your story and your journey. Um, I, yeah, definitely related a lot on the, the share of just like boundaries, um, and saying no, um, and having a hard time saying no, um, when it is, yeah, family or, um, different people that you're close to feeling like no is not being nice. Um, so thank you for yeah touching on that. Um, and just, yeah, the, the love, the love word, L word, of just the expectation of what comes with that and um, have definitely experienced that in my own family dynamic of, you know, being, um, yeah, being pressured to say that word um, and return that expectation. Um, yeah, I guess uh, you shared about just having constant contact with others, sexaholics in recovery, especially other women in this program. Um, um, my question for you is just, um, yeah, how do you kind of I guess, get over the idea of maybe like feeling like a burden or asking for help um, or like getting over that self-reliance to ask for help and make those calls. Thank you. Thank you, Savannah. So nice to meet you. We've not met before. Um, 
again, I, I don't know what, I guess it was a gift from God, you know, being willing, praying for being willing to be willing, um, just desperation. Um, I have um, a very full, you know, my first step, it's sort of like a first step issue is that I have realized that it's been my own thinking that's gotten me into this uh, problem. And so um, it's better for me to ask other people for their input. It doesn't mean I have to do what they say, but the, the magic is in the asking. Like I've already met the goal by dialing the number. It doesn't even matter if they answer the phone or what they say. It's the act of surrendering my way to ask somebody else for theirs. I don't know if you've ever noticed like in the grocery store when you can't find something, as soon as you ask somebody where it is, you find it, you know, there's some sort of magic. So I can say in the willingness to engage with other people in recovery. Pass. Thanks, Savannah, for the question. And River, we did have a, another question in chat from Ethar. Ether, I hope I say that right. Says, I'm a lust addict and I'm new in the fellowship. I feel ashamed and guilty because of the sex addiction. And even in this fellowship, I still feel that. Is this normal? And will, will these feelings diminish with recovery and working the steps? Thank you. Welcome. So glad you're here. Absolutely. Yes, you're in the right place. It's natural. It's expected. It's part of the disease itself. I have found um, uh, shame and guilt are sort of the other side of the coin of lust. You know, it kind of goes, they chase each other around and around lust, shame, lust, shame, lust, shame, you know. Um, and so it's not uh, part of our solution at all. It was a solution that I used for a long time and it kept me drunk um, is I thought that if I only felt guilty enough, I would stop what I was doing. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. The program works, but you do have to work it, showing up to lots of meetings, getting a sponsor, um, and doing what's this very simple things that are asked here, it will get so much better. Look forward to seeing you in the next meeting. Yes, thanks, Ethar, for the question. And I don't see any more hands up, and we only have maybe three minutes or so, but we do have time for one more, one more question if someone would like to ask. Yeah, here's Elaine. Oh, go ahead, Elaine. Yeah, hi. <laughs> hi, Reza. <laughs> yeah, lovely to see you. So I uh, just want to say, uh, yeah, uh, give me a bit of an impression of uh, your um, contact with your higher power in a daily life or what, how it involves or what, or what did you can tell now in this minute? <laughs> Thank you. Wanted to share with this. Thank you, Elaine. It's so wonderful to see you. Yay. Elaine was also in that meeting in New Jersey where I met the women. <laughs> Do you remember? You were in New Jersey. Yes, yes. Um, uh, and um, 
Oh, boy. Yeah, this has really evolved. This is something that's really changed since I got into recovery because I came through the doors as an atheist. Um, so my pro- the process of finding a higher power, engaging with that power, um, it's just been a journey. Um, today, I um, start first thing in the morning with prayer and meditation turning my will and my life over to the care of this very loving, benevolent, higher power that wants nothing but good for my life. (laughs) Um, And then throughout the day, as much as possible, um, relaxing into the higher power, allowing the higher power to give to me, receiving the gentleness, gentleness, love, and nurturance that is just being given to me constantly. My life is so abundant. You know, I have all the water I need to drink. Um, I have a home to live in. There's plenty of food in the refrigerator. I mean, there are millions of leaves on the trees, you know, um, providing shade as I walk down the road. I mean, it's just the more I can relax into the reality of the moment that God has given, given to me, and it doesn't always mean that it's rainbows and sunshine, um, but it is generous, loving, and kind. Um, and so all throughout the day, practicing this um, presence of God. The more I do that, the easier my life is, um, the happier I am. Um, but it, it is a process that's ever evolving. I'm so grateful. Thank you for asking the question. Thanks, Elaine and River. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.